Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, October 24th. The biggest question I have after watching Friday's matches across the professional tennis world, can anyone hold a lead anymore in pro tennis? We saw so many dramatic comebacks on Friday, so many outstanding turnarounds, a lot of drama, but a ton of fun for us tennis fans want to talk about all of that action on today's podcast. Of course, we here at Cracked Rackets also have the privilege of being in the press room this week for the 2020 WTA Ostrava event. Of course, that means We've gotten the chance to speak with all of our winners each day. We've gotten the chance to speak with some of these players as they head towards the 2020 offseason. But of course, that's just been so fun for us to get to hear directly from them, to get to bring their thoughts to you, the listeners. If you want to hear all of those questions we've asked, be sure to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, we will link in some of those quotes here on today's podcast, but you can hear them all unfiltered in their entirety on the Cracked Interviews feed. So be sure to go check that out. Of course, if you want to hear our picks each and every morning, go check out the Great Shot podcast feed as our DraftKings GSP aces of the day roll on. Some drama here on Saturday morning. I made a play using Ugo Umber. Now he was down match points against Dan Evans. He's now up in the third. Unclear how that one's going to end, but you know, certainly we, it's been a good week for us, I will say on the aces of the day. So if you'd like to play along with us and our friends at DraftKings, go check that out. And of course, you can find all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com, in case you have missed anything from this week. Uh, Also, the reason, of course, we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and we say it all the time, there is just one recipe for success in professional tennis. You look good, you feel good, you are going to play good. And that's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. You go to Midwest Sports, all of your equipment needs will be satisfied, folks, whether it be rackets, whether it be clothing, whether it's shoes, whether you just want to pick the ear of someone who knows a little bit more about the equipment than you do, Midwest Sports has got it all. And you can find all of their uh, all of their gear, all of their stuff on their website, MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Of course, you go to aerobar.com. You will find the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor. Just go to aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. You can order yourself up a box of aerobars and get 15% off your order. Let them know we sent you there as well. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right. With that in mind, let's start with the action in Ostrava because obviously, what a day it was. Dramatic comebacks, incredible level of tennis. I mean, the match that was straight sets honestly might have featured the highest level on the day, but there were just so many good matches to choose from, uh, so many battles. I think we have to start, though, with maybe the weirdest match of the 2020 season. Certainly, I remember Mladenovic. I don't remember who beat her, but at the French Open, she was upright a set in 5-1. She ended up blowing that match. On Friday, number three seed Arena Sabalenka was down six love, four love to Sarah Saribas Tormo, who has obviously looked so great here this week. She can just put make so many balls, put so much pressure on you as her opponent. And it just seemed that Sabalenka just could not finish 
on the biggest points. And there were so many 30-alls, 40-30 deuces in those first 10 games and so many opportunities for Arena Sabalenka to hit swinging volley putaways or, you know, she had the approach shot, she just overcooked it long. So many different things. And she just couldn't get over the hump. She just could not win a game. And, you know, every so often you throw enough dartboards at the board, something's going to stick, right? And I tweeted out yesterday when she's down 6-0 love, I, you can go check the timeline. Uh, I said, if Arena Sabalenka wins one game, I think she wins this match. She either win, or, you know, I said she either loses this match 0-0 or she's going to win it. There's no in-between because I swear to God, if you go back and watch this match, watch the first 10 games, it's on Arena Sabalenka's racket. And again, not to take away anything from Sarah Saribas Tormo, who kept tracking down the extra ball, who kept almost goading Sabalenka into trying to hit a big winner, even though she clearly had no rhythm. But then Sabalenka won the first game and her arms go up in the air. And I actually had the opportunity to ask her what she was thinking down 6-0 love. Let's play that clip for you now. You know, four love down, obviously. Things are not going your way. Uh, when you won that first game, your arms go in the air, and there was just a moment of relief. Talk us through that moment. Talk us through what's going in your head at that point of the match. I would say it was last 10, actually. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to win at least one game. <laughs> Didn't want to lose it 6 loss, 6 loss. It would be really crazy and too much. And, yeah, I was so, so happy that I could finally uh, win one game. I was so happy in that moment. <laughs> and my coach was joking, like, so now you can retire. It's fine. <laughs> at least you win one game. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, everything was going on. Like, I wasn't on the court. I wasn't doing anything. I didn't even try to win. I was, like, out of the game, and I didn't know why. And um, I was just, like, I don't know. I was just, like, going for the shots, like, really crazy, like, trying to make, again, trying to make winners. And then I just a little bit cooled down, make one step back one step back and just uh, try to put a little bit more balls back and try to go through her backhand and yeah it's helped me to came back and after after I won three games in a row I, ca- I can't, kind of knew that this is the good sign and if I will just keep going the same um, way and um, I will find my, my, my game and that's what happened and after 6-4 I felt like well, she's not giving me so much pressure. She's not making like winners. And the only way she can beat me, it's um, only if I will like keep uh, missing and missing. And this, this thoughts help me to stay in the rallies, like to find this perfect shot to hit and maybe make a winner. But I, I actually didn't even try to make winners. I was just like, um, I saw open the open court and I was just going there. So yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's everything I was thinking during the match. And folks, let me just say, having looked into her eyes, that sounds a little bit too intimate, having seen her body language as she gave that answer, uh, that was completely legitimate. She thought she was down and out. Her arms go up in the air after she wins that first game, and there was this sense of relief like for her, okay, now I can lose at least 0-1, and it's fine, but... 
you know, I'm telling you, if you watch the match, it just needed the one game. She just needed to buy in. She just needed that little bit of confidence of, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't need to go on the, for the winner on ball four, but if I wait until ball seven, that opportunity will still be there for me. And even if I play with a little safer margins, I have the opportunity to attack. And that's exactly what Sabalenka did throughout this match. She completely flips the script. Again, the racket, the ball was, or the control of the match was on her racket from start to finish. Just the first 10 games, she was missing every time. The last 12 games, she didn't miss as much. And again, Sariba's Tormo scrapped and clawed and kept trying to make the extra ball, but you could just see it click in Sabalenka's brain where she's like, oh, okay, this girl can't hurt me. I have the bigger weapons. Let me be safer. Let me be smarter. Let me be more disciplined in my patterns. Let me get my legs going a little bit, and I can win this match. And that's exactly what happened. And look, the Stats from this one aren't pretty. Sabalenka only makes 60% of her first serve. She's 10 of 27 on second serve points, 2 of 7 on break points saved. Uh, but, of course, she holds Cerebus Tormo to 11 of 27 on second serve points, 30 of 56 on first serve points. She's 6 of 12 on her own break chances. And, of course, for Sabalenka, she got better and better as the match went on. You know, in that third set, she's 9 of 10 on first serve points, 3 of 6 on second serve points. This was just two completely different matches, and it was one of the stranger ones I've ever seen. Again, this is why Arena Sabalenka is so captivating. It almost feels like sometimes she has to lose a bad 6-love, six 6-1 six first set to almost wake up and be like, wait, I can hit the ball more powerfully. I have more racket talent than 99.9% of players in the professional game, and I just need to wake up. And she did wake up, and I, you know, I'm recording this after her victory over Jen Brady, and we'll talk about that more uh, on tomorrow's mini-break podcast, but this is why I continue to be so captivated by her talent, because when it clicks... When it works, she can go from 604 love down to 0664 6 love in the blink of an eye. You know, she's been bageled three times in her career. On two of the occasions, she's come back to win the match. I don't even know what to say. This was a funky one. It was fun. It set the tone again for what was a strange day because it was three three set matches in Ostrava yesterday. Let's move on to our next one. Maria Sakari, who I had the op- uh, opportunity to sit down with for about 10 minutes yesterday for a solo interview. Again, you can check that on the Cracked Interviews podcast. She did an outstanding job bouncing back from 6-3, 3-1, a break of serve down, two comeback in three sets, knock off Ons Jabour, 3 6-3, 6-1. And what stands out for Sakari, I said this yesterday, I will say it again today. Pound for pound, probably the best athlete in the women's game. I don't know about the very, certainly the fittest pound for pound. I mean, the way she tracks down some of these drop shots, just her fitness right now. I mean, first of all, she's jacked. But second of all, it's just, I mean, Owen Shapur's going to throw different looks at you, right? She's going to slap a ball down the line when you're not expecting it. She's going to throw in drop shots when you're not expecting it. She is just the definition, a player who wants to disrupt your rhythm. But that's okay for Maria Sakari, who I asked her after the match. I said, you know, again, you're down 6-3-3-1. She's throwing in all of these drop shots. What is going through your head? Here's the clip of her answer. Congratulations on the victory today. Um, I want to start with that match. Uh, you talked about it a little bit earlier. It was really two different matches. You win mm-hmm. 11 of the last 12 games. And I'm curious, down 6-3-3-1, it looked like you did start to play more aggressively. It looked like you started to take more chances. You know, what were you able to do? And I guess, why, you know, why were you, why did you have to change your tactics at that point in the match? Actually, 
to be honest, I was not trying to be aggressive after the six three three one. I was trying to make uh, bring uh, you know bring the rhythm a little bit down and slower because I feel like I felt like she was just using my pace. So I was trying you know to throw in a bit of a slice, like some slices, high balls, uh, just take off some pace, as I said, and I think it worked well. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Yeah. I'm also curious, she throws in a lot of drop shots. How? Yeah, I want to know the number, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it was up there for sure. And, you know, how do you maintain your composure? Because certainly as a tennis player, probably nothing more frustrated than getting drop shotted. Well, it's my favorite thing to run. Uh, so I don't, I don't mind running on a drop shot. Uh, I know that there are, there are high chances that I will lose the point, but um, one of my strengths is my speed. And I feel like they can, if, if they want to drop shot me, they can, they can do it. I will, I will be there to get them. It's just the way Maria Sakkari seems to be embrace, embracing the challenge of these matches. I mean, again, she just, she loves the grind. She loves the fight and, you know, her ability to take balls early, utilize her speed to get up on that backhand, take it down the line, you know, redirect. And then against Shabor, she starts throwing in her own drop shots. She gets a little bit cheeky. She starts moving forward and just disrupting the river, the, the rhythm of Jabour, making the match a track meet. And, you know, again, Jabour did a really good job in those first two sets. It was an either-or through those first two sets. She legitimately could have gotten out of this one in straights, but Sakari stepped up her level, or Sakari, excuse me, stepped up her level, and just, again, her ability to use her speed to take balls down the line, her explosion, if you leave a ball sitting, she can turn cross-court, rip that ball, open up the court, and now you're playing her patterns, her rhythm. She gets to take balls early down the line, which, again, I think is her best skill, and I think the serve gets better. I think the forehand is probably the side Jabour targets with the serve more than the backhand because the backswing's a little bit bigger, but there's a reason I throw Sakari in that Conteve Mertens. These 24-year-olds, don't forget about them. They are all immensely talented from Rhea Sakari. It hasn't been as linear, I suppose, as a progression as some of the other, you know, young studs like the Kennens, the Osakas of the world, but it has been a steady rise, and this was a fantastic performance from her. You look at the counting stats in this match, uh, reflective of that fact. She won, it made 65% of her first serves, won 79% of those points, 52% of her second serve points was an efficient 5 of 7 on breakpoint chances. This is a great match from Maria Sakari, who advances to play Victoria Azarenka in the semifinals after Azarenka knocked off Merton 6-4-6-1. The biggest thing in this match, and the first set, the level of play, uh, what a first set. I mean, that's a top 10, top 5 slugfest. Those are two of the five best players. Just go watch the first set. The level of tennis was outstanding. Merton's understanding, hey, I gotta be more aggressive than I was at the U.S. Open. I can't just let Vika dictate to me. I have to be the one taking chances, going big down the line, moving forward, making my first serve. But Vika just created so many opportunities for herself. And one of the things that has been her calling card, really, since the restart began, it's how effective she's been on serve. She continues to fire in time after time after time. Over 70% of those first serves in. She's winning over 65% of her first serve points. I asked Vika after her match about that topic. I said, Vika, why is the first serve... I said, Vika, that sounds weird. I said, excuse me, Mrs. Azarenka, whom I'm the biggest fan of and I've watched since I was an adolescent... Um, I have a question about your serve, and you can hear that question about her serve right now. 
cool. Congratulations on the victory today. Um, I want to start with that match. Uh, you talked about a little bit earlier. It was really two different matches. You win mm -hmm. 11 of the last 12 games. And I'm curious, down 6-3, 3-1, it looked like you did start to play more aggressively. It looked like you started to take more chances. You know, what were you able to do? And I guess, why, you know, why were you, why did you have to change your tactics at that point in the match? Actually, to be honest, I was not trying to be aggressive after the 6-3-3-1. I was trying to make, uh, bring, uh, you know, bring the rhythm a little bit down and slower because I, like, I felt like she was just using my pace. So I was trying you know, to throw in a bit of a slice, like some slices, high balls, uh, just take off some pace, as I said. And I think it worked well. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense in her answer, the fact that it does allow her, it sets up the plus one ball, it allows her to dictate rhythm. Those things seem fairly obvious, but, you know, her talking about them, it just goes to stress how much more important they are as you approach the highest levels of the game. And it was a really high level performance for her 6-4-6-1 victory over Elisa Mertens. And then finally, Jennifer Brady. Three-set victory for her over Veronica Kudermatova. Brady, you know, first-set breaker. Brady goes up for love in that breaker. She ends up dropping it 7-5 to Kudermatova. Next two sets, 6-3, 6-1, Brady. Kudermatova was outstanding at absorbing the heavy top spin ball of Jennifer Brady, absorbing the spin and depth and pace Brady was providing, and just redirecting those shots flat down the line. I mean... She's got some pop, folks. Veronica Kudermatova, really exciting player, and obviously she's been really good here since the restart, but man, Jen Brady can ball. I mean, the serve, the forehand, how heavy it is, how effective it is. She goes after every shot, and the backhand, I mean, the depth she can get, she's not afraid to lace it down the line. I think the missing piece, and I talked about it with her today, you'll be able to hear that later on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but just her ability to move forward and her willingness to move forward and be aggressive. She plays to win. She plays on her terms. She dictates the terms of engagement, and you love to see that. Now, Kudermatova did really, really well. She took her chances, but just in the end, Brady wore her down. It's really difficult to track down forehand after forehand from Jennifer Brady. They're so heavy. They're laced into corners, uh, and in the end, Jennifer Brady too good, and of course, like now we've got a really fun semifinal Saturday in Ostrava. Vika Azarenka taking on uh, Maria Sakari, and then of course, Arena Sabalenka taking on Jen Brady. Now, Brady, Sabalenka have never played before in their career, obviously, as I mentioned, Azarenka Mertens playing at the U.S. Open not too long ago, so, uh, or Azarenka Mertens, excuse me, we're now on Azarenka Sakari, that shows you where my head's at. Hey, great shot, leave it in, Westoff. Anyways, these two have not played in their career either, but they both come in with a ton of momentum, so should be a really high-level match. That's the action on the WTA Tour, and of course, there's some fun ITFs. Hopefully, you're all following the action in Georgia. I believe we've got Belis versus Kostyuk, uh, we've got Lepchenko moving on, and then we've got Magdalena Frich. Uh, that is a really fun event that has streaming capabilities you can find. I believe I've tweeted out the links if you want to watch along for those events. But let's shift gears now to the ATP side of things. Let's start off in Antwerp where we had a really fun day of action. I think the match we have to start with the drama on the day 
Karen Hatchinoff and Dan Evans. And look, in Antwerp this week, there's no shot spot. And, you know, it's almost the the ATP Tour privilege is to think these players are now playing all of their matches with shot spot, right? Because the best tournaments, the biggest events, they have that sort of technology. They can afford it. And I suppose for some of these players, it's a throwback to not have that option available for you on center court. But, you know, the big takeaway, there's a, a call in the first set that Karen Hatchinoff hits this big approach shot down the center at Evans. The line judge calls it out. The ball is six inches within the line. I mean, you watch the replay. It's not even close. So right off the bat, Karen Hatchinoff not happy. Now he wins the first set 6-3, and he goes up a break. He actually had a break point to go up double break 4-1 in that second set, put Dan Evans away, and we talk about it again. Can anyone hold the lead right now on the Pro Tour? Maybe not. But, you know, Evans had, you know, or it's 6-all, I think, or 7-all in the breaker. One of the two points in, uh, you know, they're playing this long rally, and uh, typical of the rally, you know, Hatchinoff trying to key in on the Dan Evans backhand, Evans hitting slice, slice, slice until Hatchinoff hits an off-speed ball, Evans can run around, play the forehand, go inside out, inside in, and move forward, and then you're on his terms, but, you know, Evans gets the inside out forehand he wants, and he hits it on the sideline, and Karen Hatchinoff is a thousand percent convinced the ball is wide. Dan Evans disagrees, as does the line judge, and no call is made. There's no overrule. There's no challenge. Point Evans. Hatchinoff was not happy about this fact, and he let the chair umpire know right away, and it was in, you know, graphic terms, right? The F-bombs were flying. There was swearing. He said, we will go watch these points after the match, and you'll see you robbed me, and you know, uh, ultimately, Dan Evans wins the tiebreaker 9-7. Evans then wins the third set 6-4 after he breaks Hatchinoff to start the set, and then there are no breaks of serve the rest of the way, and, you know, Hatchinoff was not happy. After he loses at the second set, he starts kicking the sponsorship board on the net. He smacks his racket against the chair umpire's chair, which, by the way, absolutely deserved a point penalty in the moment, and I do want to give some credit to Karen Hatchinoff, who comes out after the match, releases this statement, hey, I absolutely let the emotions of the moment get the best of me, regardless of what the call was, that's unacceptable conduct, it's everything you want to hear from Karen Hatchinoff, so he deserves credit for that, but he let it get in his head, he let it rattle him, and he played a really smart match in this one, the depth he was playing uh, to the Dan Evans backhand corner, the fact that he was willing to go backhand down the line to, you know, keep Evans honest, to not intimidated or afraid of the Dan Evans forehand at all, and, you know, he was the one also being willing to move forward, not letting Evans use his variety to get into his offensive patterns, but... I mean, A, should we have, you know, then there was this exchange, I think it was between David Law and Dennis Shapovalov on Twitter. Shapovalov obviously like, oh, Hawkeye, you know, another bad call gets another victim. David Law's like, yeah, but from the entertainment standpoint, can't you see how much more enjoyable it is? To which Shapovalov says, yeah, but have you ever been playing a match with thousands of dollars on the line and have been cheated out of it because a call that was incorrect goes against you? And with all due respect to David Law, yeah, it's entertaining, but why would you not want to get the call right if you can get the call right? And it's not like an NFL NBA review thing where it takes three hours. It's like an extra 12 seconds where it's clap, 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 challenge shot shows, ball was in or out, and we're kind of done with that. If a tournament can afford that, if it's possible to have on site, use it. Like that's, it would just be miraculously stupid, uh, just incredibly short-sighted not to do that because again get the calls correct and 
Uh, in this instant, calls weren't correct, but Hatchinoff let it get to him. And that was a bad loss for Karen, who had match point in this match and had opportunities. A great win for Dan Evans, but Hatchinoff was right there. And again, we've talked about Dan Evans a lot. He is one of the breakthrough stars of this 2020 season. He's inside the top 30 for the first time in his career on an indoor hard court. He's about as tough of an out as you can find because he can just impose his variety, get such clean looks at the ball. But that's a great, um, so great win for him. But you know, a controversy-filled match, which I suppose is what we love as tennis fans. So and then again, maybe I just talked myself out of it. Maybe we don't want hot shot. Do I talk about this match as fondly? Yeah, you know what? I still, If this match is three sets, I still talk about it fondly because here at Cracked Rackets, we love all tennis, regardless of what it looks like. Now, that was the only three-set battle on the day in Antwerp. The other results, Dimitrov gets a withdraw from Milos Raonic, who continues to have some nagging shoulder issues. Alex Diemenauer... I mean, just dominant against Marcos Giron, 6-3, 6-love, moved Giron. Giron just couldn't hurt Diemenauer. If you can't hurt Diemenauer, you're absolutely not going to beat him. That's a great victory for Diemenauer. And then Ugo Umber, 6-3, 7-6, over Lloyd Harris. I don't know what to say, folks. Ugo Umber can ball. If he's better than you, he's going to beat you right now in an indoor hardcore. Just makes enough balls, gets clean looks on the return, obviously can play plus one tennis on his own serve. Guy's a stud, and that was a really comprehensively solid victory over a tricky Lloyd Harris on an indoor hardcore. And of course, that sets up tomorrow's matchups. As I mentioned, Evans versus Umber going the distance. That will be a fun one to talk about for sure. And then Grigor Dimitrov taking on Alex Dimenauer. They've played once before last year's U.S. Open round of 16. Dimitrov, a straight set winner in that instance. But of course, uh, Alex Dimenauer, you know, I. He's probably still in puberty. I don't know, 21. I think I was still growing. So I feel like uh, Demon Hour may have an inch or two left in him as well. Certainly uh, has filled out more and more, has more and more experience since that match. And, you know, those are two just pound for pound, two of the best athletes in the men's game. So that is certainly to be uh, certain to be an explosive one. Uh, let's switch now to the action in Cologne where we had a ton of drama on the day. Again, this gets back to the theme here. Can any of these players hold the lead? Uh, in the case of Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, that answer? No, he cannot. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina up 6-2-5-2 on number two seeded Diego Schwartzman. And let me just say, Davidovich Fokina was balling, folks. I mean, you know, Schwartzman is always going to get knocked on a hard court. Of course, that ball can sit a little bit short. It can sit in a person's strike zone. Hard for him to hit through the court the way some of these bigger players can simply because of his size. But that's not an issue for Alex De- uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. I mean, the guy is just cranking forehand down the line, forehand cross court. If he gets a clean look at the ball, if he gets to set his feet, look out. He's probably going to hit a winner because, I mean, it's either going to be a winner, the point is over, or he's going to miss and the point is over because he's got that sort of pop. And honestly, he can do it routinely too. Seems to be able to summon these forehands or backhands down the line at will. And then, of course, once he lands a couple of those, he gets to do his true favorite thing, which is start to mix in the drop shots, mix in, you know, again, move you side to side. Go down to line. He gets you know incredible athlete himself in terms of how he moves. But served for the match twice against Diego Schwartzman. I believe got to match point on one occasion, but just was not able to put Schwartzman away. And again, you know there was a backhand wide. I think on match point he tried to go for the big rip backhand cross court misses it just wide. Probably didn't need to go for that much in that moment. But the flip side of that, of course, is had he not been playing his 
typical brand of you know athletic high upside big uh, shot tennis uh, then maybe just maybe he probably might not have been in that situation and you know Diego Schwartzman you could tell when he won that second set he unleashed a vamos the size of you know the size of him uh, it was unbelievable and he was he was pumped up. He was fired up. He was ready to call this match a day. He was like, okay, I guess uh, Davidovich Okina, just a little bit too good for me today. It's not my day, but nope. The second he won that second set, you could just tell as well after it got to the breaker and Alejandro Davidovich Fakina dropped it that this match was in Schwartzman's hands, and then he runs away with that third set, but I mean, I'm really encouraged by what I saw from Alejandro Davidovich Fokina over his two events in Cologne. It's clear the guy's got top-tier athleticism, top-tier firepower. The question for him now, can he rein all of that in? Can he be a little bit more consistent in his shot selection, be a little bit more disciplined in that shot selection as well? Um, but all of the tools are there. I mean, the guy's a stud. The guy's up 6-2-5-2 on a French Open semifinalist. And yeah, we're on indoor hard courts now, but... That's it's an awesome result. It's an awesome event for Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who obviously I'm sure is kicking himself that he didn't get over the hump in this one, but still I think that's a really, really good tournament for him. And then for Schwartzman, are you expect anything different? I mean, the guy is never out of a match until it is over. And in this instance, he emerges as the winner. And now he's going to have a really fun matchup against Felix Oshir Aliasim. Aliasim, a 3-4 and four winner over Yoshihito Nishioka, who just... Didn't really have enough weapons on this day to hurt FAA. The The match was on FAA's term, and I think you could tell Nishioka's legs a little bit dead after the three-set battle against Struff, after the physical battle against Kyle Edmund in his first match. And, you know, when you're staring down the battle barrel of having to track down forehand after forehand from Felix Ogier Aliasim, or, you know, when he's throwing in the big serve as well, the combos, uh, it's a really tough ask of any person, fresh or not, and here just too much firepower from FAA. And, I really do think he is going to beat Schwartzman tomorrow. I think that match is going to be on FAA's terms. I think you look at what Alejandro Davidovich Fokina did through the first, you know, what, eight plus seven, 15 games of that match. And if you're FAA, you think, I can absolutely replicate that game plan. Now, I don't have the drop shot element, perhaps, that Alejandro Davidovich Fokina does. But in terms of just hitting through Schwartzman, in terms of just trying to pound through that wall with shot after shot after shot, the game plan is clear. And I think indoor hard courts, these are the conditions where FAA could very well and I think should beat Schwartzman tomorrow, but that's going to be a really fun battle. The other fun battle, uh, two three-set winners in their quarterfinal matches, Alex Zverev over Adrian Manorino. We talk about Zverev enough. Needless to say, it was a very Zverev match from him in this one. And then Yannick Sinner, who overcomes the ultimate ATP Tour litmus test, uh, beats Jill Simone in three sets. Simone gets a bagel in that second set and actually goes up 3-6-6-0-2-0 in the third before the Sin Man woke up. And I swear to God, he lets out a come on after he breaks for 2-1. I think that's the first time I've ever heard Yannick Sinner's voice. And, you know... It's just so clear how much these opportunities mean to him. He's ready, folks. He wants to be competing at the biggest stage, on the biggest events. And, you know, tomorrow he takes on Alex Virov, a rematch of their French Open round of 16. If you're asking me where I'll be, it's glued to the TV during that match because... 
I'm excited, folks. Or maybe I'll be hiding under my covers if things don't go the way I want because I'll just be crushed again. Again, Zverev versus Sinner is me versus Rothenberg, uh, and we're all very excited for those sorts of matchups. But it's going to be a fantastic weekend of tennis, right? Any variation of those four players in the final, something for us to be excited about, of course. Schwartzman FA have never played before. As I mentioned, it's matchup number two for Sinner and Zverev. But overall, just a very fun Saturday of tennis. Of course, a couple of other challengers going on this week as well, just to quickly talk about those results. It's going to be Huang versus Husler uh, in the semifinals in Germany on the carpet. Gunnarsson versus Vandesan Schulp in the other matchup. I mean, if you haven't watched carpet tennis, go watch it. Things get weird, folks. I don't know what else to say. Uh, and sometimes you need a little bit of weird in your life. Of course, in Istanbul, you've got Benjamin Bonzi going to take on Ilya Ivashka, former Wake Forest all-American and qualifier this week, born a Gojo, going to take on Martin Kleson after Kleson earns a three-set win over Mackie McDonald. Fun tennis, folks, and again, it means you will have tennis on your screen available all day long from dawn till dusk. So hopefully you will all get to watch all of the action. Of course, we will be back here tomorrow to recap all of Saturday's semifinals to preview a final Sunday. And of course, we will be giving our picks on the GSP for our aces of the day as well. To find all of that content, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. A huge shout out to all of you Patreon subscribers for sticking with us. We appreciate your support. None of this would be possible without what your contribution. So again, eternally grateful for that. Of course, we are also grateful for the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACKED15. The two people who prop me up each and every day are super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a of an editing job to do day in, day out, yet never fail to get the job done. So shout out to the both of them. But with that in mind, for my wonderful super producers, Max Finger and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.